whether it's overeating, undereating, picky eating, emotional eating, stress eating, mindless eating, you know, uh, chronic dieting, compulsive calorie counting, however it shows up in your relationship with food, I understand it again from a mind body perspective that it's basically all the same. It's the human psyche just trying to feel safe. Hello, beautiful listeners of High Vibe in It, old and new. We love you so much. Welcome back to the show. You are in for a real treat, a real delight today. We have a new friend, Miss Lisa. She's a trauma-informed health coach. She works primarily with disordered eating and helping people to align their mind and their soul and their body so that they can have a better relationship with food, health, their bodies, all of the above. And she actually had Lindsay and I both on her podcast, which we will get more into in a second. But she's just really an awesome soul and she gets it. So we needed to have her on the show today to continue this conversation because if you've been listening with us for a while, we've done a few episodes and it's been building on body, relationship to food, health, uh, disordered eating, things of that nature. So Today, we're going to go even deeper and continue the conversation. So Lisa, welcome to the show. And please say your last name correctly before I mess it up. <laughs> Thank you for having me. That's a, yes, that's a great, that's a great introduction and a great first question. Um, yes, you nailed it. It is Lisa Schlossberg. Uh, my friends call me Schloss. So you're welcome <gasps> to do that as well. Yeah. Cute. Love it. Cool. Thanks for having Lisa, me. I'm so excited to talk to you today and uh, you have people get to know you because I know when me and Kelsey were on your show, it was like the Lindsay show and the Kelsey show, but now it's the Lisa show featuring mm -hmm. high vibe in it. <laughs> um, so I want to get into how you got started, what your journey is, um, what brought you to this work and anything else you want to delight us with when it comes cool. to your story. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So it all began for me um, from, I always say like from the beginning, you know, when we have a relationship with food, we have been in a relationship with food since before we were even born. And I think that's always important to just kind of start with. Uh, for a long time, I used to think that my story actually started when I was 17, because that's when I embarked on this extreme weight loss journey. And I was a sophomore in college, ultimately, um, a few years later, when I ended up losing 150 pounds. And so I used to think that that was the story. But it turns out that there is a story evolving all the years before that. Um, and so I will, I'll share it with you the way that I came to understand it myself. That is, I was overweight my entire childhood, my whole life. And I have no memories of not being uh, weighing more than I should. So my whole kind of socialization into the world as a human being was in a bigger body and being, as far as the doctors were concerned, uh, morbidly obese. So I was over 300 pounds when I was 17 years old. And growing up, I, I didn't care at all. I was in complete denial about uh, my weight issue, quote unquote, as well as any other emotional issues that I was uncomfortable about. My, I like to say the first line of defense for me was denial. It was just like, if I don't want this to be happening, it's not happening and I'm not going to deal with it. Um, and so I identified as the strong one 
I thought I had a lot of willpower and I thought I was really um, strong and I didn't need to feel feelings and feelings were stupid and therapy was dumb. And, and I kind of lived my whole childhood that way. And I wasn't aware at the time that I was really using food and eating very much like a drug to cope with everything that was going on, uh, you know, in my family, stress, emotion, trauma, et cetera. And so I, I had always tried to lose weight. I was forced on a lot of different diets. I saw a lot of dietitians and nutritionists and doctors and specialists growing up. Uh, I went to Weight Watchers when I was nine years old and I always lasted about a week or so before I decided that it just wasn't worth it and I didn't want to keep up with it. And so that was what my childhood looked like. And then eventually I lost a lot of weight really quickly when I was in college. Um, and after my weight loss, I got to this really kind of interesting place where I thought the story was over. I thought that I was going to follow all the rules and do what everyone told me to do, eat less, exercise more, and then I would live happily ever after. And it turns out that that definitely did not happen. And that was actually, in a lot of ways, the beginning of the story. That's where, for me, everything got really interesting. Um, at the end of my weight loss, I I was really confused about why I felt really bad all the time. Like I was really fatigued. I couldn't sleep. I lost my period. My hair was falling out. And I was just confused because I I was doing great. <laughs> you know, I was like following all the rules, but my body uh, was not in a good place. And so I connected with a nutritionist because my intention was to figure out how to lose the last 10 pounds. And she was the one that said, are you still getting your period? And I was like, oh my God, that's so crazy. How do you know that I'm not getting my period anymore. And so she was the one who explained to me that I was in starvation mode and my body was malnourished and literally fighting me to keep weight on. And it became clear that I had turned basically a lifelong disorder of overeating into a disorder of undereating. And at no point was I connecting to myself and asking questions about why was I here to begin with and what was going on that food and eating had become, you know, a coping mechanism for me to begin with. And so that, again, kind of began the journey. And in a lot of ways uh, was the reason I started working. I had been in therapy for years and, you know, we could talk a little bit more about that, but I was, I kind of brought my relationship with food into therapy for the first time uh, because I was, I was also very confused about how I kind of woke up one day and felt like I was with a, you know, living with a full-blown eating disorder. And all I could think about was food, my weight, every calorie that I ate, every step that I took. And so after that, it was a few years of just kind of balancing out and learning how to uh, cope with my emotions and manage stress and regulate energy without relying on food and eating and dieting and weight loss. And that's when I started to, again, just making a long story short, um, I started to learn a lot about the mind-body system. I started studying the brain science of emotional eating. I started learning a lot about why all of this made a lot of sense, actually, and that I didn't have a problem with food or eating and my weight wasn't an issue. These are ways that I was keeping myself feeling safe and protected and comfortable to deal with the trauma of my early childhood. and. Um, and so I started doing things like meditation 
and, you know, grounding work and breath work and journaling and yoga and all these different kind of mind body healing techniques to just create a sense of safety and embodiment ultimately. So that again, I didn't need to lean on food and eating and my body the way that I had. Um, and so over the last few years, first I started as a personal trainer. That's where it all began. Uh, I was really interested. I, you know, I loved working out and I wanted to help people. So I started working in a gym and then I became an integrative nutrition, holistic health coach, which kind of started to expand my understanding of the human being outside of just the body. Um, and I started in all of that work, seeing that, you know, the, the way that people were struggling was not in the physical dimension. The, the way people were struggling was more mental and emotional and spiritual and social. And I wanted to get into what I consider like the meat of the human experience with people. Um, and I started doing that as a health coach. And then eventually I went to school. Uh, I got my master's in social work at NYU because I was, I was being trained basically to be a therapist because I wanted to really include again, mental and emotional well-being into my work. And so now I kind of take this really integrative hybrid approach to working with the people I work with. That is physical health is important, right? The way that we're feeding our body and moving our body is important, but there's a lot of other deep stuff going on in our relationship with food, especially. Um, and I'm happy to talk about, you know, the details of that. But so that's basically what I do now is I'm working with people who are struggling with any kind of disordered eating. And I always say disordered in quotes, like it's it's not a disorder and I will die on that hill, you know. So um, it makes a lot of sense. We use food emotionally and it's valid and it's human and it's appropriate and we're not doing anything wrong. We just need to figure out, you know, other ways of coping and other ways of feeling safe ultimately. And there are ways of doing that. So whether it's overeating, undereating, picky eating, emotional eating, stress eating, mindless eating, you know, uh, chronic dieting, compulsive calorie counting, however it shows up in your relationship with food, I understand it again from a mind body perspective that it's basically all the same. It's the human psyche just trying to feel safe. And that's, so that's how I got here in a very, long story short. If you want the longer version, the first two episodes of my podcast are my story because there's a lot more to say, but that's that's who I am and what I do and why I do what I do. Oh, yeah. I love your story so much. I love that you said, well, first of all, hats off to you. I bow to you, dear, because the fact that you're able to just understand it, right? It's, it's one of the hardest, most, most complex, um, things to really understand because as you said, it starts from the womb, right? And and it's it's so integrated already at when we're born that it's like it's you don't even know what's happening. So I'm really I love to hear when people are able to have that moment where that light bulb moment where they're like, oh my gosh, yeah. Yes. Because when you hear it, when when I was learning about helping people and I don't say weight loss really I say weight control because losing something means you're gonna find something it's like that connotation of like well if I lose it then I'm gonna find it again so I just we're, I just don't say it but with clients and when learning about weight control and weight release perhaps also um one of the first things they say is like 90 percent of of weight issues are emotional and I was like what? Like, of course it, of course, once you know it, it's like, of course it is. But until you come to that moment and it's like, what the heck is going on? 
And so I love that you were able to do that. And now you're able to help others understand the deep connection between emotions, body and mind, because it it affects us in all sorts of ways. Um, Yeah. So wonderful. I love your story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And look at you. Look at you go. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't realize that you were that big because you're a tiny lady. (laughs) I mean, you're not like six, seven. Like my fiance is like ginormous. And when he told me he used to be like over 300 pounds, he used to play football. So I was like, okay, yeah, but he was still looked huge. And he was literally so tall. But for someone with such a small frame, that's that's hard to believe that's yeah. that's that's a lot of extra that's a yeah. lot of safety right that's a lot yeah. of that's a lot of safety. safety um that you're trying to create and obviously of no fault to your own just like how you beautifully explained it's it's all emotional and I think one of the reasons why I bonded so deeply with you when I was on your show was because we're both so passionate about helping people feel their feelings and process their Mm. feelings in a really healthy, really sustainable, really nourishing healing way. Because really that when you can do that, it does heal a lot of different addictions, which are really just like symptoms of all these internal issues, right? It's not always just the addiction. It didn't just start with that. Usually we start with something deeper, a feeling that you like wanted to escape or a need that didn't get met or whatever. And it becomes this coping mechanism. And so I think food or no food, it's important to just have the conversation again, like we always do on the podcast of feeling is healing. (laughs) And there is, you know, a more beneficial way to feel your feelings and more detrimental ways to feel your feelings, which Mm -hmm. we can talk about too. But what do you feel like helped you the most when you started opening up to yourself and like opening to what was actually happening inside of you? Like what were some of the processes or perspectives that really helped you to do that? Cause it can be scary at first and super intimidating, especially when you've been something, been through something as traumatic as you have in your family. So what do you have to say about that? Yeah. <laughs> what say you to that, yeah. my dear? Good stuff. So yeah, so I, I mean, in some ways, this will answer your question, but it also is just feels very present with me in terms of like things that I want to kind of add in terms of the context, because I think in terms of, um, you know, there's a lot of like techniques and modalities and things we could talk about all that stuff. But I think what I find personally and professionally really starts to shift things is education. Like the way that I think about it is, and I talk about this in terms of like my group program, I think many of us are actually all of us were born into the mind, body, soul being, and we can think of that like a car, but most of us are like driving around this car, but we've never been given the manual. Like we have no idea, like what is actually going on here energetically, neurobiologically, physiologically. We don't know. No one ever taught us. Like there's no class for this in school. And so we learn a little bit about nutrition, right? Maybe, but but not really from like a mind-body perspective. So the reason I say that is because then we grow up in this culture that says if you're struggling with food, there's something wrong with you. And if you have a you know excess weight on your body, it means that you lack willpower and discipline and like all the stories of shame and failure and all the nonsense. It's total bullshit. Can I say that? Mm, here? Yes, you can yeah. say bullshit. <laughs> Okay. You so can scream it. it. Right. And it's like, so we're, so not only are we like not given the manual, but we're given this like bullshit manual. And then we have no idea how to drive this car, which is why so many of us are struggling with food and eating. So I start there because I think the biggest thing that shifted things for me was learning that actually, <laughs> 
this is a bullshit manual. And this mm. doesn't, this is not actually what's going on. This is what's going on. So there's a couple things that like one, just when it comes to like brain science, 101 and neurobiology. Okay. So our brain is always trying to like reach an equilibrium basically. So when the stress is too high, we will do things to bring our stress back down. This is why we have compulsive behaviors. We say yes to things we want to say no to. We do drugs we don't want to do. We eat food that we're not hungry for. Like we are compulsively trying to manage our stress and energy and emotion in a way that we 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 must because that's how the human body and brain are designed. So four of the chemicals and neurotransmitters that can bring our stress down they're called happy chemicals. So there's dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins. They all have a little bit of a different job in the brain. They feel a little bit different in the body. But two of the four happy chemicals are released in our brain every single time we eat food. So there's no question around why are we emotionally eating. There's no way that we would not be emotionally yeah. eating. You know, so I always say like the same reason that like sex feels good is the same reason that food feels good because it's biologically built into our wiring as a system to prioritize our survival and our evolution, right? So if this is where I always am like, you know, if you consider yourself an emotional eater, you are a human being, you are <laughs> built that way, you know, there's no other way around it. So first there's that, right? Which is just like, oh, okay, like this is validating, but this is some information that none of us were ever taught. So to think that you're not going to have an emotional relationship with food is just unrealistic. That's not the way that we're built. I have a free gift for you. I'm giving away my Money Magnetics guided meditation. Every time I do this meditation, I kid you not, if I do it for a few days in a row, money magic seriously happens. Once it helped me to hit my highest month in sales at the time, which was over $28,000. Another time, it brought in a new opportunity for my fiance to start making 10x what he made before, which obviously really supercharged our household income. Another time, it helped me to attract a huge financial gift. But generally speaking, this is the meditation that I use to just always help me keep manifesting more and more money. You can download it now at kelseyaida.com slash mmfreebie. Find this link in the show notes, and you'll have to send me a message on Instagram to let me know how it goes for you. So there's that part, but then the other thing, like when I think about what really started to shift things for me was, so are you guys familiar with the adverse childhood experience study, the ACE no. study? Okay. okay, so this is some really good stuff. So in 97, 1997, this, uh, this study came out and the adverse childhood experience study basically looked at uh, adverse childhood experiences, which is like, you know, the capital T traumas. So there was a 10 question survey that went out to these people in the study and it asked about uh, early childhood traumas. So abuse, neglect, um, a parent being imprisoned, a parent passing away, things like that. But it was only 10 questions. And what we found through the A study, which was I think 17,000 adults participated in this, and what we found is that there was a direct correlation between early childhood traumas and experiences and health issues later in life. So everything from stroke, heart attack, disease, addiction, nine out of the 10 leading causes of death were kind of accounted for in the ACE study. So this mm -hmm. started to absolutely like revolutionize healthcare and, and especially addiction treatment because it kind of started to present that we were not... We're not really doing a service to anyone by asking the question, what's wrong with you? Why can't you stop drinking? Why can't you stop smoking? Why can't you just stop eating? 
But now we have this information that says we actually start, we have to start asking the question, what happened to you? What happened really early on in your life that you had to use these substances and behaviors to cope with the stress and trauma and emotion you were experiencing? So it basically was like a huge kind of plug for mm. mind body medicine and to say we're all this human you know system of energy mm -hmm. and of course we adopt these health risk behaviors because there's all this stuff going on kind of underneath the surface right so the a study started to change all these things and when i i don't even remember how i stumbled upon i just started doing a lot of research so at this point in my journey there was this point where i had lost a lot of weight but then i started eating uncontrollably. As soon as I started eating a little bit more to like get my period back and like restore my health, I was completely out of control. And then I'd go back on a diet and then I would gain it all back. And then I would lose it again and gain it again and lose it again and gain it again, which is something we're really all familiar with. And so I was still in that place of like fighting my body. And I, the way that I grew up, right, very like empirical left brain. I wanted the data. I was like, what is going on here? I just lost 150 pounds and now I can't stop eating. Like what Hap what is going on, you know? And it didn't, it didn't make sense to me that the cultural narrative that I just woke up one day and lost all my willpower. Like, I was just like, that's, there's something more here. Like, yeah. no, you know? And so I started doing research and I was very dedicated to figuring out what is happening? What's happening to me and why is it happening? And so that's how I mean, I learned a lot. I learned a lot in just kind of going down that rabbit hole. But one of the things that transformed my understanding of myself was finding the ACE study. Because I remember at the time, the way that the CDC website used to be laid out is that there was like a little asterisk. It said, here's nine of the 10 leading causes of death that are connected to all of this stuff. But there's this little asterisk on the bottom. It said, for more, click here. And I remember clicking there. And then there are all these studies about emotional eating, disordered eating, eating disorders, or obesity, using food like a drug to cope, and the way that food and drugs have a lot in common and the way they operate in the brain and the body. And that was the biggest light bulb for me mm. because that was the moment I started to ask myself, again, not what's wrong with me, but what happened to me? And then the answer was so clear because I knew what happened to me. And I knew that when I was, when I was five years old and my parents had their third daughter. So my baby sister was born, which is the thing that I wanted most in the whole world. And then she was born a few months early and passed away after five months. And my entire family was going through the loss of a child. And so when I was five years old and I had this massive, very confusing, very confronting, earth shattering grief, I had nowhere to put that. I had no way of coping with that. I didn't know how to move through that at all. And so what I did was do, you know, I wanted to make everyone else's life easier. And I just remember that was the beginning of me saying, you know, life is too painful and I don't want to be here in pain and heartache and grief. And I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to not feel what is present with me. And that was the beginning of, you know, I remember one time my mom pulled out a picture of me and she said, this is the year that you really started putting weight on. And I said, is it 1998? And then we like flip over the picture and it's 1998. And it's like, that's where it began for me was I started using food and eating. And so I'm putting all these dots together and I'm learning how, you know, as a kid, 
I didn't have access to drugs and alcohol and cigarettes, but I had access to food and a lot of us do. And so again, this like emotional eating as a way of coping with trauma is completely normal, valid, human, appropriate. And it just started making so much sense to me. And so mm. that's why, you know, again, I'm coming from this mind body kind of trauma informed place because you don't have to have big T traumas to have a, a lot of little T traumas and a lot of stress and a lot of emotion. And I think all of us as children are collecting all these emotional experiences that we don't have the space or the resources or the capacity to cope with. And then we have food and eating that can bring our stress down. And it's this like, you know, this kind of breeding ground for an emotional kind of charged, quote unquote, disordered relationship with food that actually makes all the sense in the world. So that to me <laughs> is so important in terms of understanding, like it's so normal. And then, and this is, this is like the real manual, you know, this is what's really going on. And so just shifting out of, you know, the, the cultural narrative and the socialization around what it means to be in a bigger body and what it means if we're overeating and all that nonsense, but to come into a place of like, oh, okay, so this is what's mm. going on here. And then that's what, that's what brought me into really stress reduction over size reduction is something I say a lot. It's like really mm. focusing on, you know, how do I regulate in ways that are not food and eating? Uh, and that's where kind of the more specific modalities and techniques and stuff came in. But psychoeducation to me is, is like the backbone of, you know, all of it. Yeah. We, I think we have to start there. Yeah. And I love that you said, instead of saying what's wrong with you, what happened? That's one of the most important questions that I have learned to ask clients when they're just talking about themselves and what's going on. And I don't know why I can't, you know, and I said, when did you learn this? You know, and, in, and nine times out of 10, first thing that comes to their mind, they know, but it's the same thing that they've been trying to deny or the same thing they've been trying to ignore or shove down or compartmentalize and just move on and get, you know, and so it's such an important question. And sometimes just knowing how to ask yourself is the key because of course we know, yeah, look inward, whatever, all the answers are within, whatever. But if you don't know which questions are the right questions or how to ask, then it's a non-starter. So for anyone listening, if this resonates, maybe just say, where did I learn this? You know, what, what could have happened? If I did learn this somewhere, where would it have been? Because mm, you always do. <laughs> you always learn it somewhere. And you're absolutely right. Your mind, your body is always trying to protect you in the way that it knows how with what the information that it's been given. Even in starvation mode, your body was trying to save you. Yeah. That's just incredible. And also not because it's of course that's what happened but when right. you really think about it like we are just so amazing your body's amazing your mind is amazing nothing is wrong it's not a disorder it's just there are different ways better ways healthier ways <laughs> to to live your best life and not feel a little bit off the tracks you know it's like you're going but you're just you're just a little bit off the track let's get you yeah. back to where you're most authentic because that's the second thing or the next thing rather that I wanted to talk about, whereas I was just having this conversation with a client yesterday where when, the, when there's a desire to look a different way, all I'm trying to get at as the, as the facilitator is, is this something that society's pushing on you or is this where you feel most authentic? Because that is, that's it. If you feel the most authentic at 300 pounds, that's when I would say, be you girl, 
whatever that looks like, whatever that feels like, as long as you feel like you, but the problem happens when you stop feeling like you and you don't feel like yourself anymore, or you don't even know what that looks like because you've been a certain way for so long. And so just helping people, I think you'd agree that just helping people getting to their most authentic reflection of who they are so that they can show up in the world as themselves that's the name of the game. And whatever that looks like needs to be unique to the person. Yes. I love it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I um, saw yes. um, a super interesting post on your Instagram, which everyone, you should go follow her on Instagram. Go follow her. In the show notes. But you were breaking down the different types of emotional eating. And I was wondering if you could break it down for us here. And specifically, selfishly, I want to ask about picky eating, which you mentioned earlier, which that was always my thing until very recently when I had a health scare and I had to start eating better. And like probably for the first time in my life, I'm not like malnourished. I'm having the best periods ever. My abs are on fleek. Like it's all coming together because the right, the right diet for me. But my whole life, everyone in my family on my dad's side who they use humor to cope with everything. Um, they're very politically incorrect. Wherever the line is, they step over that line on purpose to be funny but now in this day and age it's especially not funny and um they're all picky my grandma was a super picky eater my dad my aunt his siblings are all super picky eaters and that's how I was too and my mom tried my mom's not a picky eater she tried to feed us everything and it just smelled bad it tasted bad it was just horrible like I would try it but I didn't like it and now after having a food revolution, I'm much more expansive in my diet, but I'm curious your insights you have on that. And also just if you can break down some of the other most common ones. Kelsey, I already know why it's because you were a queen in a past life and you have a very refined palate and you <laughs> only eat gold and jewels. That's why. I love that explanation. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> also using humor to cope. Um, hi. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You go. Oh, I love it. We could totally go with that. I like that explanation <laughs> too. Um, okay. So in terms of like what I, what I, the post that you're probably referring to is when I talk about the kind of biggest ones that I see in my own practice are emotional eating, stress eating, mindless eating, overeating, undereating. And the reason that I kind of group them together in that way is a, just to show that whether it's overeating or undereating, we're dealing with the same thing. Yeah. We're dealing with just a disconnection between mind and body that's showing itself in its relationship with food. So, but the thing that I like to say about it is, you know, if we're struggling with something like emotional eating, stress eating, uh, overeating, whatever it is, we have a tendency because we're spiritual beings having a physical experience. We have a tendency to kind of objectify ourselves and see ourselves as a physical. And so when we're, let's say you just use the example of overeating. We find that when we're overeating, uh, the thing that gets our attention is the eating habits. The thing that gets our attention is the fact that we're eating when we're, you know, stuffed or we're eating when we're not hungry. We're eating when we don't want to. And, and then because we see that as the problem, even though that is the total tip of the iceberg and not actually the thing that needs the attention, we kind of swing the pendulum to the other side and then try to like control food and eating or like portion control and like manage ourselves and go on a diet and count points and calories and all that stuff. And then that gets too overwhelming. The brain cannot do that forever. There's a lot I could say there, but then we swing the pendulum back and then we're overeating again. And then we swing the pendulum back. And so many of us are familiar with 
that pendulum and we could live there for an entire lifetime because whether it's it's just like what I did, you know, it's like whether it's overeating to hyper fixating on food, you could swing that pendulum back and forth your entire life and never actually come back into alignment and connection with yourself and your body. So the reason that I kind of, again, group all them together is because the point that I'm trying to make and feel like I'm here on this planet to make is that if you're emotional eating, you're not paying attention to your emotions. Mm. So something I say all the time is if the biggest problem that you have with food is that you're an emotional eater, that's not a problem that you have with food. That's a question about how you're coping with your emotions. Okay. So, and the same is true. Like the other thing I say all the time is like, just because the hunger isn't physical doesn't mean it's not real. It just means that it can't be satiated with food. So we have to get curious about what am I hungry for? What am I actually feeling? But so my point in saying this is that if you're emotionally eating, you're not paying attention to your emotions, but it's the eating that gets your attention. If you're not, if you're stress eating, you're not paying attention to your stress but it's the stress eating that's getting your attention. If you're overeating, you're not paying attention to the fact that you're full, right? You're not honoring the fact that you're full. If you're under eating, you're not honoring the fact that you're hungry. And if you're mindlessly eating, you're just not paying attention. You know, so it's like the the problem is not the eating habits. That's just Mm -hmm. what gets our attention. That's kind of the flag. But all of this is to say, for me, it's about kind of following the thread that is like, okay, so I noticed that I'm overeating but how do I, use, instead of turning away from that and trying to control it, manage it and, you know, judge it and fear it and quote unquote, do something about it, you know, that's just going to get the pendulum swinging again. But what we have to really do is learn how to move toward it and say, okay, so if I'm emotionally eating, what were the emotions behind that? If I'm stress eating, how can I manage my stress in a way that's not food and eating? It's, it's really about using it as a way to follow the thread back to the mind, body, soul system to say what's actually going on here and what are some other ways that I can cope with it. And when you're doing that and you build that lifestyle, ultimately, I mean, that's why it's like, you know, I think diet culture has like used the word lifestyle change so much that everyone's like, oh my God, shut up with that. But this is the lifestyle change is that when you find yourself overeating, you're not trying to manage your food. You're looking at that with compassion and curiosity and saying, Okay, so I'm a human being. I was feeling emotional. If I wasn't coping with that, food and eating is going to do its job. But how do I, again, just kind of unpack that? And Mm. then again, same is true with overeating and undereating. What's going on that we don't feel safe to honor when the body says I'm full and the brain wants to keep eating, right? How do we we look at that and really, again, cope with that? Same with undereating. So there's again, like there's so much that I want to like say about all of it, but that's, that's how I look at the kind of like different kinds of uh, just ultimately being disconnected from ourselves. Um, And then when it comes to picky eating, picky eating is interesting because um, so when I worked, when I first moved out to California, I was working with a pediatrician who is a specialist in childhood obesity. And we did really incredible work with families because we would work with kids who were overeating, undereating, and picky eating. And we would treat them all the same way because it's all the same thing. And so the the interesting thing about picky eating is, and this is a good example because the same thing is true for overeating and undereating as well. There's always a like mental, emotional, physiological, energetic kind of genesis. Okay. So what I have found really interesting is like if I'm working with, and this has happened when I worked with a, I don't remember if she was like somewhere between like nine and 11 and she'd eat like five foods 
Okay. So that's really, that I don't want to say it's really common, but that's a thing that we see. And what is really interesting about it, and I'll use just like some kind of like prototypes of the case studies uh, where some of the reasons, so we, so we look at that, right. And we follow that and we get really curious about that. We're not judging it because we're coming from an understanding. Again, it's not what's wrong with the child. It's what's happening with the child. Why is this how they're coping? And we can look at, you know, the, the kind of, I don't, I don't even want to use the word like helicopter mom or the like really controlling parents. And for a kid, especially the only thing, one of the only things that we have any control over is what we put into our bodies. And so if you have a kid that's like really picky eating, again, it's very often not at all about the food, right? Even you're saying it's like now you kind of expanded your palate, right? It's not that there was like a food sensitivity there. It's that there was something psychologically going on that said, this is the only thing that I can control. And then it's really interesting because I, again, like I have training as a social worker social worker. So I see it also through the lens of like family dynamics and family systems theory. And what very often happens is that, right? So what happens if you're a kid and you only eat five foods, you have all the control in the family. And then what happens? Your parents are like losing their minds because food and eating is so stressful and every mealtime is a fight and you get to just sit there, not even consciously. Okay. By the way, for a lot of kids, this is not happening on a conscious level. They have no idea that they're, you know, controlling and manipulating. They are trying to feel safe. And this is a way that their brain has learned helps them, period, the end. Mm. But then what happens, right, is that the kid is in charge. These are the only foods that I'll eat. I can say no. Why? Because I need a sense of agency. I need a sense of control. I need a sense of power. I need to be, you know, putting my foot down. And we see that with, you know, even three-year-olds just being toddlers, you know, but this is, this is why, especially with something like picky eating, it can very often, and the same is true with, you know, anorexic tendencies. This is the one thing that I can control. And again, especially when you're a kid, it's, it's the, it's basically the only thing you can control. Hey, Lindsay here. Have you seen what's new inside my Align Your Mind membership? Members already get instant access to my best hypnotherapy audios, mindset hacks, manifesting methods, and more on demand right at their fingertips. But now when you join AYM, you'll also get a major VIP level upgrade with my brand new goal-focused hypnotherapy toolkits. These toolkits inside AYM are carefully curated hypnotherapy bundles designed with your specific goals in mind. Whether you desire to call in more money consistently, get out of the mindset rut that you're in, renew your passion and confidence, manifest with more ease and power, cultivate more self-love and inner knowing, or finally release the burdens from your past and heal. Once your subconscious mind is on board with your goal, it's a done deal. And that's what my toolkits are designed to do for you. So if you're ready to rewire your mind, release what's holding you back and manifest your desires with ease, the AYM membership is where it's at. Just hit the link in the episode description and start embodying your highest potential. And it's the yeah. only thing that you can choose to say no to, right? You got to go to school. You got to go to bed. You got to this, you got to that. But at the dinner table, you could say, nope. And then yeah. you have a lot of control there. So, and so that's kind of, yeah. Sorry. There's just, there's also so many theories from different, you could talk to two different experts and one expert will say like, yeah, just make them what they want because they're, they're um, expressing their preferences and that's completely valid and they get to pick. And then the other expert is like make them eat it <laughs> I'm like so as a parent with kids who are 
showing picky tendencies. I want to believe that they're just like, you know, showing up and expressing themselves. And like, I just don't, I don't like this. And it's okay for me to not like this and be free to do that. And at the same time, I'm me and my husband are making like four dinners. And my husband the other night was like, Jack is the emperor in this house now, because he yeah. really does control the dinner table. And again, I, I completely agree that I don't think it's conscious. And I don't think he's manipulative or trying to do it. And I don't know. Sorry, I'm like taking over because I, I want to know what you think about this, because I want to know. I want to believe that he's just a kid. He's seven years old. Like, I want to believe he's just being a kid and he's just expressing himself, but I don't want this to be a situation that is harmful to him. I don't want to malnourish him. I don't want him to like not be eating enough. And I also don't want him to control the dinner table either. Yeah. But now I'm like, well, maybe I should just let him because he doesn't have control over any damn thing in his life. <laughs> so help me. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It's, it's great stuff. So the one thing that I will say, well, a couple things. One is this is a classic situation of like, I would need to, uh, I would need to like work with yeah. him and you, you know, like there's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, there isn't, because that's the thing is that it's so yeah. not the like one size fits all. This is what's right. happening. This is your story. It's like, I would need to investigate and, you know, work with you and navigate and, and all of those things. So I think even that is telling in how I would approach it is like, mm -hmm. I'm not so in individual. Yeah. I'm not in a position to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 This is what it is. It's like, I don't know the answer to that. And that's also the reason I love what I do and I find it really fascinating is because you can have a hundred people who are all, you know, exhibiting the same behavior around food for 100 different reasons. Yep. And I think that's extremely interesting and fascinating, which is why I love, you know, getting to know people and working with people. Because again, we compare that to like, diet culture and it's like this is just the way to do it and it's mm -hmm. like there's a lot of reasons that doesn't work but that's one of them so that's the first thing but the second thing is I just for anyone else who's like listening to this and being like yes answer the question how does it work the one resource the, moms, will, Lisa. Yeah, the, the resource that I will point you to just because um you can really get a lot from it is Ellen Satter and her division of responsibility. And I'll explain that a little bit. Oh, I know this. I think I know this, but yes, explain. So the Ellen Satter Institute has a lot of information, a lot of resources. Like that's a website that I will plug. Um, Ellen Satter was a dietitian and psychotherapist. So similarly, you know, coming from a mind body approach to the psychology of feeding ultimately. And she has really great work around uh, you know, treating kids with any kind of quote unquote disordered eating, but that includes picky eating. So if you're looking for more around that, that's kind of where I would point you and where I would go to read a little bit more about how you can show up as a parent. Um, but the other thing that I will say, just in addition to that, is what I've learned in this work is that overall, we are all intuitive, energetic beings, right? And I know I don't have to tell you guys that. So it's like, we have kids who are energetic and intuitive. And the number one thing that I will say, whether it's overeating, undereating, or picky eating, the same is true. That is part of what you can do as a parent is not make it a thing. It's just not make it a thing. Because very often, part of the struggle with food and eating is not like, think about, you know, even if this is something you're struggling with, Think about the energy around mealtimes now. 
Think about the charge. It's horrible, Lisa. Right, right, right. And so without even needing, quote unquote, an answer or a solution, the first thing that I can tell you to do is bring, tr do what you can to bring down the charge around meals and the charge around the conversation of food. Because the more we can, and again, it's not, it's not a shift that's going to happen overnight. That's the other thing when it comes to our, our relationship with food and our kids' relationship with food is this is something that's going to take some work and navigating and patience yeah. because it's not going to happen, you know, immediately. It certainly isn't. We have to teach the brain that it's safe for them to cope in other ways, blah, blah, blah. But if we consider again, how mealtimes are and what the conversation around food is like as a family, and it's like this really charged kind of thing. The first thing I would look at is what can you do to be like, kind of whatever about it. Like, mm -hmm. just like, it's not yeah. a big deal. Like if it's this or it's that or what, or what, it's just, just, ah, let's just, you know, make this, let's take the stress out of this so that we can, you know, start to like co-create a solution and navigate this together. Cause I agree. There are a lot of experts who say different things, but I think from the bird's eye view of what the human experience is, in order for a kid to feel safe around meals times and around food and around expanding their palate and all of those things, it's the parent who can help communicate energetically, mm -hmm. this is a safe space. And even if we you know, are still unsure about how to feed him or whatever, you're not making that like the number one conversation of the day, right. which right. You know, a lot of families can fall into. And so we just start to kind of like back off a little bit and that again, just energetically creating safety in the environment is the first thing that I would kind of think about. Yeah. And I think that keeping the responsibility, would you say division of responsibility? The thing that I thought you were talking about, and it's one of my favorite things that I've ever seen is like, tell the kid, I decide what to eat. You decide yeah. how much to eat. I yeah. will make the food. You can decide how much you're going to eat yeah. of the food. And that way they still feel like they have. Uh, a, a stake in the game or, or skin in the game but if any if that helps it's been working for us I actually got him to eat a chicken casserole with broccoli in it you guys which oh my god <laughs> it's a miracle <laughs> yeah yeah Kelsey and if your is... parents said Kelsey we decide what to make you decide how much to eat of it would that have worked with your child self you know I don't know but <laughs> something funny I can tell you is ever since I've been on this new and improved health journey, this beneficial foods for my body eating journey. I've been sending my mom pictures. I'm like, mom, you won't oh, believe what I'm eating. Look at this bone broth with all these vegetables in it. Look at this. That <laughs> is like gluten-free noodles with this amazing sauce with all the vegetables. She's like, you eat that now? You eat that now? And I'm just like, oh yeah. I'm sure half of her it. is so excited because that's like the best gift you can give a mom. And then the other half is like, why can't you do yeah, that? Yeah, she's probably I'm like so happy and like so defeated. Like, oh cool. Now, now yeah. that I'm not feeding you, you'll eat all this. Sure. Oh, that's so <laughs> well, it also it reminds me of like the pediatrician that I used to work with used to share this story all the time about how when she was growing up, she she hated to make tomatoes and like it was always a th again it's it was always a thing like her family was like eat the tomatoes eat the tomatoes eat the tomatoes you need the tomatoes they're healthy for you la 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 all this stuff and so she had this reaction where she would literally like tell people i am allergic to tomatoes i can't go near them okay so then later in her life she started first she had like she tried like a tomato like soup or something and she like actually kind of enjoyed it and now like loves tomatoes and and again it's like it's speaking to 
the energy of the system where it's like, if you are getting pressured and stressed out and it feels like, you know, there's a predator coming after you, or at least the perception is that a predator or something life-threatening is chasing you because you're not eating tomatoes, you're not going to feel safe to do that. But yeah. when all of that is eliminated and you grow up into an adult and you get to make your own choices and you're like, oh, I actually, oh. I can actually, I like these a little bit, but, it, but it's all speaking to the, the energy around what we're doing. It's not about what we're doing. It's not about the tomato, the tomato is the same either way, right? It's the conversation around it. It's the narrative around it. It's the story and the relationship with it that shifts. And that is, that's why I say it's like, you know, when, if a kid isn't eating something or whatever, you know, you can just kind of be like, it's whatever. It's fine. Okay. You know? And then, and just all the like backing off around it is like the predator is leaving the building. Yeah. And so one part of the division of responsibility, and this is all Ellen Satter's work is exactly what you said. It's the parent is in charge of deciding what comes into the house, when the meal times are, and then they're eating the food themselves. And then the kid's job is to listen to their body, eat when they're hungry, stop when they're full, and they decide if they're going to eat and how much they're going to eat. And then the the intention is that you're making mealtimes pleasant and comfortable and safe so that whether, you know, you're, you're taking the attention off the food, you're taking the obsession off of what they're eating, and you're teaching them that they can come to the table, connect with their family, embody a sense of safety and connection to themselves and their own bodies, and that's how slowly, gradually, we're actually, you know, creating an environment where an intuitive eater can be an intuitive eater. And it's not about right and wrong and good and bad and should and shouldn't. It's listen to your body. And and, and I know it's hard yeah. to believe, but kids really, really won't starve themselves. It take it took me. I'm like, yeah. are you sure about this? Because my kid is like, are you sure? But no, they will not. They won't starve themselves. <laughs> yeah. They will eat. Mm -hmm. um, that helps anybody. But I do like, last thing, I do like what you said about it's the tomato still the tomato. And actually yeah. there have, I know you know this, there have been studies done that have shown that your attitude around what you're eating will have a physical effect on your metabolism as you're eating it. So if you're like yeah. shaming yourself for the chocolate sundae, it's going to have a different effect on you than if you're like, oh my God, this is so delicious. I love this. I'm only taking the nutrients um, and my body knows what to do with the rest, you know, that sort of thing. I just love that. I love that there's science to back this up because yeah. we could easily just be saying it, but go look up the studies because they are real and your perception of the food that you're eating, good or bad, is going to have an effect on the way your body handles it because it's just yeah. listening to you. <laughs> right. And that, I mean, that's basically, that's exactly what I teach and how I teach it. And something I say all the time is it's not about what you're doing. It's about the energy with which you're doing it. And so the same yeah. is true, right? Especially when it comes to, yes, our relationship with food, but if we're talking about our weight or anything like that, you know, I always use the example of like a bowl of salad because that's always, you know, a lot of us have that conditioned into our brain as like a diet food or like a weight loss food or whatever. But the whole point is whether you're eating a bowl of salad from a place of, you know, I hate what I look like. I want to be different. I need to yeah. change. I'm not good as I am. You know, all we're doing there is creating the physiology and the energy of stress and fear. And so the brain thinks, again, that there's a predator. Your, your animal brain doesn't know the difference between stressors, okay? So if you're looking at a bowl of salad and you're eating it because you feel inadequate and insecure and you hate yourself, and this is a punishment, you're creating that. And that's gonna that's the thing that's gonna last, you know, in your in your body and in your mind-body system. But you could be eating the same bowl of salad 
And again, be thinking about the fact that you're nourishing your body, you're giving yourselves vitamins and minerals and micronutrients that you're not going to find elsewhere. And you're really doing yourself a favor. And you're actually, you know, contributing to your health and longevity moving forward. That's the energy of love. That is the energy of safety. And so we are all out here, again, kind of objectifying our experience as physical beings, looking at the food, looking at the body, looking at the exercise, whatever it is physically. But we're not taking into account everything that you're saying. That is, it's really the energy with which we're doing it. It's the story and the narrative around it that's going to create the experience of it. And so that's that's basically exactly you know, what I'm here to teach is, for a lot of people who have been, you know, burned by the diet industry, uh, we kind of swung the pendulum into the anti-diet industry. And that's a you know, conversation for another day. But yeah. <clears throat> many of us end up in this place where it's like, now I feel like if I want to eat healthy food, then I'm automatically on a diet. And if I like want to prioritize, you know, fruits and vegetables and nourishment, then that must mean that I hate myself. And it's like, hold on. No. Do you know how many steps we there are to... between that and that? <laughs> right, exactly. There's so much. It's space. like what we really need to do is examine the energy with which you're eating certain things and have a conversation about what's going on internally around it, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, everything else. So yes. Just, just yes. Just another example of <laughs> stop looking outside yourself. It's all within you and you actually have had the power this whole time right. to decide how your body takes the food sorry about it sorry not sorry but you're way more powerful than society has told you like look at yes. us go we're so powerful 100 <laughs> percent. yes and on that note <laughs> on that note i feel like we should wrap up this conversation take it over to the patreon for a few moments and um i want lisa to tell everyone where they can find more of your work, work with you, absorb more of your wisdom and your medicine. We are clearly here for it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah. So my, my Instagram is lisa.schlossberg. Schlossberg is S-C-H-L-O-S-B-E-R-G. I know it's not an easy one. Um, my podcast is the Out of the Cave podcast. My whole company brand is Out of the Cave. Um, Outofthecave.health is my website out of the cave dot health slash work with me, I believe is the is the link if you are interested in applying. We'll have it all go. Uh, okay, cool. So you'll have it in the show notes. Um, I have a group program that I run three times a year. It's a fourteen week program that is basically basically encompasses everything I know and everything that you need in terms of how to really come back into your body and use your relationship with food to reparent yourself and get your needs met and take your life back. So. I think those are all the things um, you can feel free to email me, Lisa Schlossberg at gmail.com. Happy to have, you know, direct conversations with anyone. And there's also a monthly membership. If you want to work with me in that capacity to live calls a month, all of that information is on the website. And Beautiful. go listen to the episodes of her podcast that me and Kelsey are on. Yeah. Yes. Which I forgot <laughs> to look great. up. Like I have been looking up, but they're in there. <laughs> Just search our names out of the cave. You'll Pretty find recent. us. And yeah, if you enjoyed this conversation, I think you'll also really, really enjoy her podcast. It's an amazing free resource and we were on it. So check out our episodes too. With that being said, we love you guys. Go enjoy some nourishing food, guilt-free, do it because you love yourself. Put some and love into your food today. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, give it a little blessing, you know, do your little energy witchery before you put it into your body. And we will talk at you guys next week. Bye. 
Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Thank you to everybody who has left a review and shared the podcast with friends and family. We super appreciate it. It really helps the show a lot, especially because our goal is to get over 1 million downloads before the end of 2023. And we definitely need and appreciate your help to do it. You can further support the show by joining patreon.com slash high vibe to get exclusive content, extended episodes, bonuses, and more. Thanks again for listening. We love you so much and we'll be back next week with another new episode. Bye. Bye.